0: Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. We're thrilled to have Mark Bingham on the show. He's had quite a career in the music industry. He got his start by winning a band competition judged by Howard Cosell, which led to him writing songs for Elektra Records in the 60s. In fact, the Everly Brothers recorded one of them. He was there while the Doors were putting together the Soft Parade album, and he's worked with Sun Ra. His stories are incredible like the time Joni Mitchell thwarted a record deal because of a stolen bicycle. He also tells me who the clown who is sick and does the trick of disaster is from Buffalo Springfield's Mr. Soul. He's staying busy, including playing with Louis Michaud and Michaud's Melody Makers, and they have a new live album out called Cosmic Cajuns from Saturn. Now look for him on social media. Look for us at Performance ANX, and if you like these shows, consider supporting future episodes by visiting Kofi. That's ko-fi.com slash anxiety, and contributing to the cause. Also, check out Pantheon Podcast Network and listen to other great shows there like Let It Roll, The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, and Long May You Young, and a ton more. So without further ado, here's Mark Bingham on Performance Anxiety.
2: Hi, this is Mark Bingham here with the Michaud Melody Makers. Show's Melody Makers, it's plural. In fact, there's four of us, and we are a band, and we play Cosmic Cajun music, although we didn't decide it was Cosmic Cajun music. Someone else decided for us. And tonight, you've been listening to me on performance anxiety.
0: Yes, relax. Pour yourself a drink. Do whatever you got to do. <laughs> so, this is a nice, relaxed, casual chat. All right. So, well, thank you so much for joining me. I'm, I've been looking forward to speaking with you since I started doing some research and, and uh, finding exactly who you've worked with in the past. It's been it's been amazing.
2: Well, it's been a lot of it.
0: <laughs> but at first one, I want to find out how you got into music in the first place. Were Was your family musical family? Did you start in bands? Uh, what was your first um, instrument?
2: I, I started in bands. Uh, I think my uh, my dad my dad liked music of certain sorts Okay. He loved Polonius Monk and he took me to see that when I was you know 10 or something. Oh so, wow. I was lucky I got to hear a lot of stuff and I had moved from Indiana to New York when I was like 13 or something and so when I was in there that area I got to hear a lot of great music oh yeah and um I heard uh I got to go to these shows at the Brooklyn Fox Theater so I could see Little Anthony and the Imperials the Miracles the Marvelettes Chuck Jackson uh And King Curtis was the pit band. Oh wow! Essentially, I got to see a lot of really amazing black music when I was younger. Yeah. And when I started playing, I just kind of picked up the guitar and I started. uh, I had actually was singing in this band, and I played some guitar, and then I was started writing songs, and then um, I wrote songs, and then some people liked the songs, and the next thing I knew. I was getting signed up you know and to write songs but the humorous part, which is sort of a metaphor for the entire music business, is that what I had, was writing were constructions more or less okay I would I was you know writing a little bit of this and it would bounce to that and then I, I was using I had a friend who had five tape recorders his dad worked for RCA oh, the wow. predecessor. NBC, as it were. And so we would go in his basement we started. Uh, this would be like 65, 66, that era. Okay. And we would go there and, and start, and I'd record something, then we'd play it back on one tape recorder and record it to another. And we kept going, that's how we overdubbed. Oh, so we wow. were weird things. And uh, people, they thought this was really interesting, but. The minute they signed me up, they said, Okay, now learn to write boy girl songs like John Phillips and I was like, What? Oh gee <laughs> You know, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> what but what are you doing? You know, so so it became I started trying to be a songwriter and write songs and I was very unsuccessful because I really wanted to just do crazy stuff and I wanted to be like Archie Shepp. I didn't and so I it was um Electra Records, which was an amazing label then Okay, yeah Me up as a writer And they had Jackson Brown They had a guy named Steve Noonan Who was a good writer They had a guy named Ralph Kemp That was a good writer Um, There was a bunch of people So anyway, it it was interesting And I was way out of my element I was not a hip kid at all Oh no I was was just a weird I, I was more like I was a distance runner I got up every day at 5:30 and I ran 7 miles and wow. and I was in training and I was a little too slow for the Olympics but I was pretty good, you know. Oh wow. And then I just I was going to go to college on a scholarship and all that but I was like, yeah, then music came along. And I was like, <laughs> let's see, they're going to give you money to do this or you can keep getting up at 5:30 in the morning and you're still not going to be like all that great. So, right. okay. So, <laughs> I enjoyed running for a long time, but I didn't run competitively since I was 18. You know. Okay. But that was it. So I started in in with that. I mean, I had bands in high school, and we'd play band battles, and we'd play dances, and you had to learn the you know everything from doo wop songs to all the Motown that was on the radio, anything that was on the radio, plus. You know, yardbirds, any blues, and the and we all were started yeah. listening to all the blues stuff that we heard because we learned about the Brit bands getting their stuff from it.
0: Right, right, okay.
2: So it was a it was a time where you learned to play all kind of stuff, and we'd play, we'd go from Little Red Rooster to playing the Walker Brothers. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> like really eclectic to Jay and the Americans oh, to the slow gosh. dances, and we'd we'd just play uh, whatever, and we had. And I swear, I think that everyone now most of the people in my high school band got record deals, so it was a pretty decent band. Wow! Oh, and they had and this band called Free Beer came out of that. It was a yeah, that's a great name. <laughs> I love that. And they were on Atlantic, and then a band called Papa Nebo, and I can't remember what the other bands. And then my. One of the guys that was in that whole scene, he ended up in the band Looking Glass, and they had that song "Brandy." And then he, yeah. then that turned into "Stars with a, Z. Oh. So a lot of, this is all you know—my high school kind of. Oh my gosh. Well, the stars was a lot of Jersey guys too. So.
0: Oh man, I I know I used to live in Jersey. I lived in Jersey for thirteen years. All right. So in fact, I was reading a little bit about. Your history and that you're one of your high school band. You won a a band battle, and the judges were Howard Cosell, Cousin Brucey, and Bill Harvey. Right. That's I'd love Cousin Brucey. I grew. He was still doing his oldies show when back when I was growing up in in like the eighties and and up into the early nineties. Well, and-
2: those were the guys. Though you know, I could do Howard Howard Cosell. Bill Harvey was like not all that impressed probably because i was going out with his daughter so that <laughs> made him a little, that made him like not take me too seriously but howard cosell was like mr bingham's music his songs shone sh- were shining like jewels in the night wow. you should pre- give up your preconceived notions and look at this young man's talents you know or whatever and i would say some shit like that <laughs> that's howard- awesome he lived in that town. My sister used to hang out at their house. And anyway, so I don't remember him at all. I don't know him. I remember going to get my sister from a play date or something. If I, because yeah. when she would have been four years younger than me. So, you know, if I was 17 and could drive and she couldn't drive and I'd go get her. And Hillary Cosell was there. Anyway, I'm, <laughs> I, hopefully, I, hopefully my sister would hear this and go, You're out of your mind. I never did that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, that's. Memory, you know, and cousin Brucey just went. Ee! Cousin Brucey, yeah. <laughs> I and, uh, I wish Scott Muni had been there. You know, what I mean, oh. they get that whole thing. The w- Harrison. Harry Harrison, Harry, yeah. That was the whole scene there, man. That oh. whole and Mary the K. Never w- met Mar- yeah, WCBS FM. Oh my gosh, good radio, That's and then great. And then, so you were in the in the eighties, and then you had uh, what? Are you, what's the one across the the river there? The really amazing station in. Uh, jersey oh gosh uh, it's like the freeform station what do you call it oh there was well there
0: was a wsou which was really fm is it fmu um maybe well there was an sou i'm not sure that was more no. of a college station no it's fairly
2: dickinson it was that it was at that school
0: oh okay i know what you're talking about. i don't remember the call signals but
2: yeah, yeah. i know and the columbia talking. station was amazing and um it was so there's a lot of great right you know you know oh yeah so music just got i just got into the i got into the music and i you know and largely as a fan you know when i was a little kid i mean i was like eight or something when i started before my dad took me to see great stuff i was totally infatuated with the everly brothers
0: oh yeah and
2: i had a transistor radio and i'd sleep with it and they'd have to come and try to turn it off after i passed out because <laughs> like, i was eating up batteries i guess yeah. but I, and I remember and I loved the 4 Seasons and I went berserk over I would stay up because WABC was going to play the new single and I'd stay up late 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 in case they played it in the middle of the night and I remember I was being a camp counselor out in the middle of the a field in the middle of the night with my transistor radio and Candy Girl came on for the first time and I just about wet my pants you know <laughs> It was so beautiful and uh, and then years later I was working in Malibu on a record and Neil Diamond was working the night times and we were working in the daytimes, and, and and then we'd stay there so I'd hear this Neil Diamond going all night while I was sleeping in the wow. residential part of it and Bob Gaudio was producing the record and so and he let me play his bass and I Ooh. could tell it was the same bass as like on Walk Like a Man and Big Girls so-, so I was like oh my god I got ah. to play this bass it was a Telecaster bass with Round wounds on it. Oh, I mean, wow. flat on it. Oh boy! So I was, Whoa! Of course, I wasn't Bob Gaudio, but who is? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And
0: so, uh, but so, so the Everly Brothers did end up recording one of the songs that you wrote, though,
2: right? Well, they did, and I never heard it again. <laughs> how did you find that out? Is that, <laughs> I I do my research, man. Is that in some article? Because yeah. they, yeah, I was so excited by it, and here's how you got. I, I, Okay, I was on Electra. The Electra got really weird for me. I mean, Jack Holston only wanted gay Virgos, and I was like a straight Aquarius, although <laughs> I don't know who's straight in those days. Because when I moved out there, I moved into this house and they had pushed all the beds in one room, you know. And I was oh, like, wow. Whoa, you know, and like I said, I wasn't really a hip kid, you know. And yeah. It's <laughs> like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, I would, I, I, uh, I would call this guy that was my producer and, you know, talk to him. And then I'd hear him answer the phone. And he, he see, all the producers in L.A., then they were all the drug dealers. That's what's so funny. <laughs> all these producers <laughs> they were all the, the dealers because they had the oh. best weed. And they had, I guess there's a thing about the higher you get, the better you can listen or something. or I don't know. I, but anyway, very I, I different. I don't know about that. It was a very different world, let's mm-hmm. just say that. I can and imagine. So, so i was out there and i was with electra for like oh i mean i was still signed to them for a while but they gave me a job as apprentice producer which meant i picked up people at the airport (laughs) i listened to all the unsolicited demo tapes i was the assistant when everyone was so on so many drugs like the holy Motor rounders record i was there the whole time and Peter Stanfield still doesn't remember that I was even there. Oh my god! You know? <laughs> and Sam Shepard, me and Sam Shepard are the only people there that weren't on drugs. All Sam was a you know he drank, but he wasn't yeah. like. But uh, yeah, so anyway, I was so I get up. I'm living in this house in Laurel Canyon. My Electra thing is kind of over. I'm sitting on the couch in this place, and I'm playing, and I'm playing the song, and I'm playing. And this guy comes over to score weed from my producer, or whatever <laughs> right. he's scoring. And the guy, they go in the kitchen, and I'm playing the song over. The guy comes in, and he's like this British dude, and he goes, "That's a wonderful song. I think it's perfect for the Everly Brothers." You know? and I was like, "Oh, wow. Well, great." So then they signed me up. Oh man! So, I get, so I'm on Warner Brothers as an artist now. The the sad part of this whole story here is that the uh, the producer was not only a drug dealer he was uh, what do they say in uh, Scarface okay. using a little too much of his own supply oh, you yeah. know, or <laughs> getting high in his own supply <laughs> so he became extremely addicted and then uh. Uh, and his wife was an amazing musician and was also in Warner Brothers and they were like eating up advances to and he was shooting it up and oh, so I just kind of ended up getting out of there. Meanwhile, we cut four songs, two of which came out on a single. Oh, and the Everly Brothers because of because I sort of left Warner Brothers like that, I never even I it, it didn't make it onto any of their records and I never heard it. Oh man. Well, so it's a weird one of those weird things. And uh so the 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 funny backstory of this the producer guy his wife was an ama- still is an amazing singer and songwriter. Her name was Esra Mohawk, and she had made a record with Frank oh. Zappa under the name her original name was Sandy Hurwitz. So Esther Mohawk got signed to Warner Brothers, made this great record called "Primordial Lovers." In the meanwhile, her husband is, you know, <laughs> gone berserk.: Yeah, yeah. husband. Joni Mitchell was our neighbor. Wow. Frazier Mohawk, his name was he who you know, goes down the hill and steals Joni's bicycle. Oh there's no bike blocks in those days. He takes Joni's bicycle and sells it and buys some heroin. Oh my god. Okay. Then the next day he goes back to the people he, the house he sold the people to and steals it again and sells it to someone else. So meanwhile, he he gets arrested. He has to he jumps bail. Goes back to Canada where he's from and never enters the states again. Passed away about I don't know five or six years ago. Oh my gosh! Amazing guy, and he's the guy that he put the Buffalo Springfield together. Oh he's the wow! Guy, okay, he's the guy when they say stick around for the clown who is sick, while well, the clown who is sick does the trick of disaster. Well, that's him. He was a clown and he was wow. sick, and he and there were disasters around him constantly. But he was still an amazing. Man. oh my gosh that's amazing so, so we cut to like it's a few years later Ezra has gone back to LA after being you know she they, she had to go live with her mother or something by for a year and blah you know she didn't get arrested but she got like sort of okay be good yeah and back. so she gets back and uh, they, she's going to make this she's going to work on this record with Geffen and Joni hears about it and bollocks the whole thing and says, y- you can't sign her. She stole my bicycle. <laughs> anyway, you know, this is like, I'm sure this is an incredibly painful thing for Esther Mohawk. So hopefully she's not listening to it and <laughs> doesn't drive down and try to me or anything. Oh, my but gosh. Anyway, that's, you know, there you go. There's the that- music. Good. That- you. <laughs> so. And, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, you asked me that. Well, oh, I was
0: going to ask is, that, uh, is this around the same time that you got to, to see one of the Doors' records being made, and, and which album was well, that?
2: Well, that was like the the terrible record, the Soft Parade. Oh, okay. And well, you know, they spent nine hundred hours on that record. Oh my God. Yeah, and it, they didn't have any songs. They didn't. Okay, the first Doors record to me amazing. The second Doors record pretty decent. Yeah, waiting for the sun, it's cool stuff. And they started getting eclectic. It was more like that was their uh, version of the REM out of time. You know. Yeah, yeah. We've run out. We let's put all the old songs that we didn't like to put on our first two records, <laughs> and maybe we'll come up with something, and maybe somebody can figure it. And then by then they were cooked. Yeah. So the parade was like, and then it was like. Oh yeah, let's let's take this weird band that has no songs left and put strings and horns with it. Yeah. That'll work. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's all it takes. Uh, uh, so anyway, it was. But you know, I thought Jim Morrison was a really nice man. Yeah, That's all I could say. I mean, he was he was nice. He wasn't he, the lizard. Can't you know? Yeah, whatever, that that whole shtick. <laughs> yeah. I don't, so yeah. When did you move from?
0: Writing and and assistant producing to actually being the 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 full on producer where you had full control. What was the first job that that you had well, full control on?
2: Well, I, full control. So like uh, me as a producer is full control is never an issue because it, <laughs> it's not what you do. You 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 bring this and bring that and do this and do that and maybe you have a vision, but control is not the right word. But yeah, yeah. Okay. But I mean, I went in. Let's see. When I went back to Bloomington. At, uh, Indiana, where I was born, and and I went to back to school there, and I started working with some of the bands there, and that's when I started doing it. And then I, uh, I put together, I kind of joined this band that had been a band for a while, but it was it was kind of a floating hippie band, and then uh, okay, and that's about when I started doing it. So I think it might have been nineteen, I think nineteen seventy.
0: Okay. And so, I mean, and I'm looking at some of your credits, and it's blow, it blows me away. Some of these bands have you worked with like Flat Duo Jets, Glenn Branca, right. um, John Scofield, REM. Um, you know, so how did the REM Out of Time job come about? I mean, you worked on the oh. strings and stuff, and, and all for that. Okay.
2: the R.E.M. thing see if i can cull it into a short thing i had it goes back to working with hal wilner okay and hal hal it's been hal has been 3 months gone now jeez oh wow anyway uh yeah he he died the day there were 1200 people died in one day in manhattan oh wow. anyway yeah it's a bummer you know hal I'd been doing this stuff, I can't remember how, oh, right, right, now I remember. It was, uh, we were doing, you know, we were doing these multi-artist records with, like, Thelonious Monk or Kurt Vile, and then we were doing one for Disney and classic Disney stuff. Okay. And it was kind of like, um, okay. I knew, I sort of knew Natalie Merchant, and and I thought, well, it'd be great to do... Uh, Drip, drip, drop, little April, shower, bean, and tune of de- 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 Bambi, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, we love movies where they kill the mother in the first <laughs> five minutes. No. Um, no, it just, that's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> oh, uh, I hated that movie because they did that. It, like, I was, I'm still traumatized. I'm not, not even know? sure I've ever seen that all the no, way through. Don't, you know, it's it's brutal. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> Um, you know and don't go back to fassbender movies they suck 40 years later <laughs> and, uh, what else oh so anyway so i get natalie and i'm talking to her and we're gonna do this oh it sounds good i'm saying well we need a back and forth male foil saying, what about like this guy ian from Echo and the Bunny? oh yeah that'd be great what about that? And, and then we could there were a couple of people she mentioned oh we couldn't get them we couldn't get them and then she says to me, what about Michael Stipe? So this is 1987. And okay. I go, who's that?
0: Right.
2: <laughs> Literally. I don't know. Yeah. And and she goes, oh, he's the REM. I was like, what's that? She's like, really? <laughs> and it's like, oh, I don't know. I'm, you know, in the middle of this other stuff. I'm, I live in New Orleans. I'm not on the scene. What do I know? Right. So anyway, so I check it out. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, he's cool. That'll work. So uh, anyway he he calls me, and i say "Tell him about it he goes fine and uh anytime i uh if I said anything aside other than what we were talking about directly, he would say to me, "Dude, save it for the book, Wow, yeah, and I was like, okay, so I quickly learned, and oh. he didn't want to hear my any of my insight on anything oh, but so Anyway, and then I ask him, "Well, how's how's the? What do we do with the money on this thing?" And he is like, "Oh, you have to talk to Jefferson." So I was like, "Okay." So then this guy Jefferson calls me, and then we set it all up, and we set it all up to record in Atlanta. And Hal can't go, so I go by myself, and we go to the studio. And there, and first off, we go. They they say, "REM tells me, oh, you're you're staying here," and I'm like. Because I'm used to crashing on people's ha- couches, right? Right, right. I'm not like, you know, these, we were on A&M records, but this, it was not like we, I mean, you might have stayed at the Chateau Marmont a few times, but it wasn't like, we weren't like rolling in it. Right. It wasn't our shit. So I get to this place, this hotel, and it's one of these things that's got this huge, it's like got, you know, 400 plants in the lobby. And oh. like, and I'm like, wow, this is weird. And 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 first off, Jefferson was like, "Oh, this this is nothing. You don't have you not to pay anything because you're doing this thing." And and I still didn't know who these people were. <laughs> I hadn't figured this out at this point. You know? I was like, "Okay." So I get to this thing, and they they give me this key, this special key, and I go to this floor, and you have to open the room, and you walk out, and these people start giving you towels, and and there's this whole like room full of food for you oh wow and i'm like what the fuck is this yeah so i'm completely I, and natalie's there and i guess my now anyway so i'm sitting there and i go anyway so i'm completely confused by this and anyway we go to the studio we have a nice time we went out and got ethiopian food and, and it all it all worked out and uh and then this guy jefferson was like so you got any music of your own what are you doing and I was like, "Yeah, I've been doing a thing with Wilner," and so I sent it to him, and he's like, "They had a label called Dog Records at that point, which I guess was mostly Jeffersons, but okay. had all the side projects of the REM guys." Okay. Like, okay, so they put that out, and and then meanwhile, Michael really liked the Allen Ginsberg record, and oh, the like, uh, the Lion for Real. Line for real and he liked the weird shit that I did on that so yeah. <laughs> when they got to the point of i I started visiting them I went at, to Woodstock during the green recordings and they oh. would ask me shit like what do you think about this cello line what about this one you know and I was like, ah, I like that one you know yeah. <laughs> she's good she plays great yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I don't. You know what I know. You know, so that by that point, I knew who they were. Yeah. At this point, I think my son was a baby, and Michael took all these videos of him, and then he projected them bouncing behind the band on stage. You know, so it was like, whoa! Oh, cool! And so, and then I became friends with Jefferson and from, but the, you know, um, I think Peter and Michael, Mike Mills, didn't really they weren't sure what i was getting. anyway by the time i got there they wanted to bring me in but michael wanted me and the other guys were like what do we have to do that for so it was always a weird thing and yeah. and the other guys wanted a whole holsaple there and michael i don't think talked to him for a year or looked at him oh, you wow. know they were on stage together so you know it's a very it was an odd uh, energy with that thing now, i loved the band you know after i got over the fact that i didn't I was so out of it on a immediate you know who's famous and who's hitting now level right you know I loved the band and I understood them the same way I understood the grateful dead and that the sum of the parts was a zillion times more you know it was just then then if you took those four people just by themselves as players yeah Pete Buck's got the greatest A minor in the world, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, and Bill Barry said, oh, he's not that good. Man, as soon as Bill left, the band couldn't groove anymore.
0: Exactly.
2: You know, so it's like, so people forget that it's this weird chemistry between human beings, and it's not about who's better or who's more technique, or it's just that, you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, the dad made all this amazing stuff, and they're, you know, they're all right, you know, but yeah. it's not, it's not the Bill and uh, Mickey, they're not Dennis Chambers, and they're not you know, Adam Deitch or something, they're <laughs> like you know, they're just guys, you know, and they were into it. They didn't be no, I was almost said intention. I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna go <laughs> age on you, you know, right? <laughs> like, uh. New Agers were into alternative facts way before Trump.
0: (laughs) We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. So you mentioned that you were in New Orleans at that time. What brought you down there? Did you go from
2: New York to New Orleans? Well, I went from New York. I was in New York, you know, and I would – you know I was working I had construction jobs my ex-wife was got a job on Saturday night live as the photographer Ooh. and then that lasted a year and then they were switching around and and anyway I was like working construction she got a job as a waitress it was the middle of the summer of 82 I was kind of like ah I, I'm sick of these you know I mean I was the scene was like it was really I mean I still have a lot of really good friends from that era, you know, yeah, but it was not something that I really felt all that great about um musically, you know, okay, and I liked playing with Branca, but I didn't like there was certain things I anyway, so and so I just so we said, well, I was trying to write a play, I had a really crazy idea, and I thought, well, I'm gonna take some time, let's sublet our plays. Go to New Orleans for four months and I'll write and I'll just ride my bike and write and see what happens, you know? Okay, yeah. So I did, we did that in the four. Meanwhile, Patty, my ex wife, Patty Perret, her name is, she got uh, a book deal doing a uh, photo book of science fiction writers. Oh, so suddenly wow. on the road taking pictures of Octavia Butler, you know? Oh, it was awesome. And Sam Delaney and Joanna Russ and. And uh, Ursula Le Guin and you know Isaac Asimov and See, you know I'm jealous that.
0: of that because I I was a photographer for years I went to college for it and all so that
2: oh okay well that that book is still floating around
0: oh what's it called I have to I have to find
2: that it's called the Faces of Science Fiction oh okay I'm gonna have to look for that now and, you know it's it was like I think I threatened to kill the guy because the printing was so bad so <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> It's a oh. great way to start a relationship, mean, yeah. but I don't do that kind of stuff anymore. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't really threaten to kill him. I just Uh, but so yeah, so we stayed in New Orleans and the guy uh, this music writer named Howard Mandel, he had sublet the place and he kept it till 89 when they sold the building. Oh, wow. And so I so we never went back to that apartment and I still had my studio space in New York which I'd go back and forth to and then Phil Glass took that over, and so I shared that with them for years. Oh wow! My, my bedroom in the loft studio was the Phil Glass tape storage room. So I'd wake up to looking at Einstein on the Beach <laughs> oh, volumes. Oh my god! Yeah, weird, and, and and that was great. And, I like really like Don Christensen who worked there and Miles Green and Dan Dryden and this Kurt Monk Casey was there and they had a receptionist that hated me and thought I was like the devil though so that made it hard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, see man. Her looking at me disapprovingly.
0: <laughs> well, I want I kind of want to know why she thought you were the devil.
2: I I'm not really sure. <laughs>
0: So you you've, you have worked with some really interesting people who made some really unique music like Glenn Branca but you also co-produced Sun Ra's uh, Pink Elephants on Parade That had uh. to be interesting
2: Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, that was was 90% Hal. I mean, I was a Sun Ra fan, and I went to see Sun Ra. Way before that, I had seen Sun Ra like five times. So I knew what to expect. But basically, the funny part was, you know, it was like, okay, we've got six and a half minutes on this. So, like, make an arrangement for that. Well... You know, analog tape running at 30 was, what, 16, almost 17 minutes, and the tape ran out. Oh, so then it was had to cut it all together, and it was before Pro Tools. So that was a huge ordeal to turn that into what it became. But then they got really to it and played a lot of Disney music afterwards. So I thought that was interesting. <laughs> well, wow. You know, became, you know, Disney-fied. Because there was a lot of great music in that, you know, pre, you know, you know, it got weird by the 70s, but you know, oh, yeah, I can imagine. When <laughs> it came back, I thought Aladdin was great, but you know, I, I think that's a Disney movie, I don't know. I, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I think every version of it is at this point because they just released one with like a live action type of one. with. Oh, uh, yeah,
2: too. I don't know, but that you know, there's the the people that wrote that music were really good, you oh, know. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not a big show tune Broadway fan kind of like I mean I sawn time. I work with this guy Michael Servers who's done all kind of Broadway stuff and he's and you know he's a, just a brilliant freaking musician. He was also in Bob Mould's band, was the lead wow. in Tommy, you know, he's like wow. and he well, there's this other this project we've been doing lately, this Peter Stamfell Hundred Songs. Okay. One song a year for the twentieth century. And Michael Servers played on that and was ridiculously good. And I mentioned this like thinking about Aladdin and theater and theater versus music and so many people that are in the theater are great musicians but when they go out and try to do it in the rock and roll world people don't take it seriously because they're actors you know Right So stupid because you know service can totally rock and just because he can do Sondheim yeah. in a v- doesn't mean he can't rock you know so this yeah. this is one weird things that always bugs me is like because you know so many people have so many great talents and then people hey yeah eh, you should go back you know it's the stay in your lane yeah shit, you know and but yeah i've all right so i have questions but you know i mean i i think i was entirely inconsequential on that <laughs> and think i think i don't know how that ended up in any press except it sunra was from saturn and so is our band you know so (laughs) that became like oh okay worked with sunra i i saw sunra once a friend of mine got really drunk and he hated the band he danced in front of the stage and and said this is bullshit this is bullshit and then the whole band started yelling back at him you're bullshit you're (laughs) bullshit it was good (laughs) and then he and then sunra brought a had a cockroach and somehow anesthetized it it wasn't dead and put a bunch of rhinestones on it and handed it to someone in the audience i kind of like that oh my gosh that's crazy <laughs> yeah the bluebird bloomington indiana circa 74 maybe oh wow anyway all right i
0: i saw two stories and then i have questions about okay all right the first one is that uh, NPR is not very happy with you or uh, Andre Kudrescu.
2: Oh well, that's so long ago that they wouldn't. The people at NPR <laughs> wouldn't even know we exist. <laughs> Andre's like an this, old, this old man living in the woods, and uh, and and he's not on. I don't know if he's on anymore because I never listen to the NPR. I mean, I do when I'm driving my car, and it's you know. But I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear the news. You know, I don't even. I don't. Yeah. Either. I don't even look at it. I mean, you know, I look at science and I look at, I study economics and I study certain things, but I don't study the idiots, right? You but, know. So, so this was this was a the Christmas album that. Oh, we did this the, okay. I would work with Andre on his. Uh, he would, you know, give his little blurbs. He, he, you know, he's the inventor of the word "wannabe" because he called all these girls that. Uh, were uh, imitating Madonna at a Madonna concert in the early '80s. He referred to them as wannabes, and it caught on. Oh, cool! I didn't ever never knew that. Andre's claim to fame, aside from surviving as a writer and surviving Ceausescu or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, And uh, so we did this. So we had this thing that we made a record of, which is a beautiful record. Although it's a, it's a little dated now because it's, that was, what is it, 1997. Right. Yeah. But it's called The Valley of Christmas. And it was a Romanian folktale, kind of like the Troll Under the Bridge. But it's about a boy who never wanted to grow old. Okay. And and his adventures finding the Valley of Christmas, where every day was Christmas. And then when he decides he gets sad and he decides to return, he wants to return home in his in his 65 Thunderbird, and he drives and drives, and he sees nothing but miles and miles of dead TV sets. And and anyway, so it's bleak. So at the end of the thing, there's no humans left. He's (laughs) the last human on Earth, and he dies. So apparently, they didn't vet. This is the NPR, All Things Considered Christmas show. (laughs) I I think that whoever the producer was probably got way worse than we did. They stopped using any of my little tidbits for between <laughs> things, and and they sort of slapped Andre on the wrist, I guess. Oh, but I, really? I haven't done anything for them since, and I <laughs> I did a lot of stuff in the '80s and night, late '80s and early a lot of recording. We did blue stage shows and some, you know. Anyway, so yeah, it's like I wouldn't know, oh, yeah, that stuff anymore. It's like. You know, you work on something for a while, it disappears and then it's now it's a whole nother thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we did do it in the, in two thousand and seven or eight or something. Donald Harrison, the sax player and right jazz composer guy, he uh he made those da da da, 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 da 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 He made a bunch of those Okay. you all think considered oh, themes yeah, yeah, yeah. in New Orleans style in my studio. So you know so that was as close as I've gotten to them in years. <laughs>
0: Alright, so the other question I had because I didn't really see any details on this, I just saw a little blurb that said you uh, did a, a CD with Andre Williams called Fattening Frogs for Snakes and you said it was one of the weirdest sessions you've encountered in almost 50 years of recording.
2: Well, Andre, I loved Andre and, and he uh, you know, he was around and he was a friend of John Sinclair's. So this is really a John Sinclair project. Callous fingertips down on the strings of beat up guitars on small town street corners
1: or broken down backwoods joints in the darkness of Saturday night or on a bright Sunday morning in a ramshackle clapboard shirt making music to praise the
2: Lord and give thanks for another. That he brought Andre in to be sort of the music director, but okay. let's just say we were in. We we had this house in the lower Ninth Ward, right on the industrial canal, industrial channel, whatever they call it. CTC they call it. Cross okay. the canal. Okay. The CTC boys didn't come visit us. Um, and so we would set up in there, and we had a little Pro Tools rig. It was early Pro Tools. It was 2001. And so we had musicians, and Sinclair brought some dude, came from Detroit. And uh, we were in the middle of building my new studio That I didn't have a place. I don't even know if I had a place to live at that point. But, <laughs> but, but Andre, Andre was in the midst of being Andre. And so we would have good days and bad days. And if it if we stayed under the if we stayed in one fifth of Bacardi and two walks into the neighborhood, it was a good day. (laughs) So we recorded tons of stuff. And the musician became really frustrated because he would disappear, come back and tell him to do something completely different the next time. So, you know, it was kind of wild. We had a good and then I would have to drive the singers back to near the airport every day you know it was one of those like jobs where I was like, i was more like i would run around and get food i would go this or, you know the thing of being yeah. a producer i don't know was i a producer in that I one i just recorded i don't really know maybe i'm <laughs> no you know that's the thing i remember because what do you do you know these things that you do but andre you know brilliant guy and you know in theory the in uh what do you call it uh folklore Yeah, (laughs) he was Aretha Franklin's boyfriend when they were teenagers. Really? So think about that one. Wow. He was was talented enough on a large music scale to conduct C.L. Franklin's choir. Oh my gosh! So and then all those great forty fives and all the raunchy stuff that he did out of that, you know. It's uh, so you see, you know the. The Closeness of Heaven and Hell. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One of the albums that uh, I didn't even, I didn't actually realize you worked on that I have liked since it came out, really. That I just, in researching this, realized that you were involved in it is uh, James Blood Ulmer's album, uh, Bad Blood in the City.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I just recorded it in Vernon... Vernon played on it, and I, I love Vernon. And Charlie played violin. Charlie Vernon played violin. Yeah, and Leon. I, I remember that whole session. It was pretty, pretty great. I'm a I'm huge the bass player though.
0: Yeah, I'm a huge <laughs> Vernon Reed fan. So when I, when I saw that, I was so thrilled to see that come out.
2: That was a great record. I thought I wasn't crazy. I didn't mix it, and I wasn't crazy about the mix because they they did the stick the blue the modern blues stick the bass drum up in your face thing, which is not yeah. really the way it was played. And no, the best no. the best story from that session was okay. I had this guitar for years, which originally belonged to John Schofield, Ooh. and they had made two Ibanez in '78 or '79. For John, and John picked the one he liked, and gave me the other one. Oh, cool! So I had this forever, and that was in the studio. And blood, blood's guitar is tuned E E E E E E, and uh, E an octave lower, E higher, E octave lower, higher. E, you know, oh, so wow. there's se- so it's it's like strain. You know, yeah. that's how he played. So in the middle of the session, his uh, guitar broke. And he had to play mine, which was in regular tuning. Oh, God. And he didn't hardly sound any different. So, I mean, he preferred to play in his weird tuning, but when he played on regular guitar, he was brilliant anyway. Oh, my God! It blew
0: my mind. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So how did you end up meeting Louis Michel?
2: I went to, uh, there were, I, I started going to this, there's a brewery near here. And I went and I had mutual friends that and somebody that at the brewery, one of the brewers was a musician and wanted to do some stuff and liked what I was doing. And Louie was booking all the bands for the brewery. And, you know, Louie's got this and that going on. Oh, yeah. And he played there. So one thing, I started working with this guy at the brewery on his crazy music. And then Louie heard it and he thought it was really cool. And he said he would play on it. So that's. That's how I met him. Oh, that's awesome! And I had heard the band a zillion times, and I met him once. Although I don't, I kind of didn't remember this until a few weeks ago. When in the restaurant right next to my old studio, because his cousin was claiming she was his sister, and, <laughs> and it, like some weird, and I was like, "What?" And he was like, "That's not my sister; it's my cousin." And that's and I, you know, it was like a two-minute meeting. When I was going in to grab a coffee for someone, and I was like, "Oh, okay, well." And he'd been in the studio for something, but I can't remember. And I didn't work on it, and it wasn't like the T Bone Burnett things or any of that. It was some, mm. it was some movie, but I can't remember what it was. So, when did you guys start
0: to actually play together with the Michaud's Melody Makers?
2: What year is this? Twenty, like two year, about two <laughs> years ago. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How can you forget what year this is? <laughs> I want to forget what year this is. Yeah, I got my COVID test today. Oh, my God. Oh, you get
0: results or you actually just take it?
2: No, I just took it. I just got the shit stuck up my nose. Oh, my wife had. I, I have had no symptoms. I've been isolated for four months. Yeah. Uh, but I just figured, why not? Better I, safe I've, than sorry. I've, had, I've had checkups and I had no fever. I have no this, or, you know. But, you know, I just figured, you never know. Let's go see. Hey, might as well. You know, better safe than sorry. Yep. So, so anyway Louis. yeah Louis was again they were Louis had the melody makers which was mostly a trio and they were playing and I'd been working with them on in recording them and you know and then on different things with Louie and then uh, he said they said well come over and sit in I'm like great so I went over there and and it was amazing And we were like what the hell and then <laughs> I just started doing the gigs. It was that simple. Wow. And, you know, to this day, we've never had a rehearsal. Really? No. We've made it all. I mean, Louis directs it, and we we learn the stuff on stage. Oh, my and God. I've played shows with him where we played no songs that I knew for two hours. When we were playing for, like, out in the country, and it was just like, oh, we can't, you know, rev it up. Let's just play, play it straight and let the people dance and do their thing, and 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 so it's. I like it because you have to listen constantly because Louis is always throwing a left turn in there. So <laughs> it's not like you can never go to sleep on this band, that's and that's awesome. I really love that. And the fact and Brian Weber and uh, Kirkland Middleton are both really really good. Oh, so yeah. that makes it really fun. Because, you know, we can really, uh, we can blow it up pretty good, you know?
0: Yeah, I, well, I, I've really enjoyed the album Blood Moon. That's, yeah. uh, I think, Dance, I I, my, I can't do Cajun, so I'm going to, Dance Carey, mm-hmm. that's my favorite track off that album. I absolutely love that song. <laughs> Just released a live album. There's right. no song called Blood Moon on the album, but you on the Cosmic Cajuns from Saturn, there is a song called Blood Moon,
2: right? And the, I don't you have to ask Louis about that. I have no idea. What I'm saying. Is, is Blood Moon is that a pure improv? No, no, that, okay. Oh, well, that night, ugh. no, I think Louis knows what he was doing. We're <laughs> <laughs> like going, Oh, that's what he's doing. i mean you know it was like uh when those things work they're great and when they don't work it's like you know jazz odyssey at knott's berry farm you know (laughs) 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 and hopefully we're we're on a level that even when it's you know, we don't play long enough to make it horrible if it really isn't working. So, oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, it's, it's funny because this is kind of continuing the uh, the, the whole tradition. I, well, not really a tradition. I've had let's see, Louis has been a guest on this on the podcast. I've had uh, his cousins, the Rayo brothers, have been on. Okay. Um, okay. I've had um, Johnny Campos came on with. Oh. Yeah, he, he when when Weeks Island came out, he he was on. We spoke with him, and and now you. So this, I'm, I almost feel like part of his family at this point because I've had so yeah. many
2: people involved in his music on. Oh, good. Well, you know, you get uh, Brian's got a cool thing coming out with a, a harp player, named Cassie Watson who's really killing it. And oh. so maybe you'll get a chance to talk to them and you can get everybody in the entire. That would be great. <laughs>
0: What have you been up to besides getting, uh, you know, st- stuff stuck up your nose for COVID? Have you been working on anything while everything's been on lockdown?
2: Oh yeah, well I mean we I finished this, you know, the the Mellymakers record is funny because when we we're going to do this live record and I was like, okay, I'm going to hook up, we're bringing gear in, and I got that, and we got you know, a good mic preamps, we set it up, we got it sounding good, but I was really it was like I'm a guitar player on this, I'm not like you know okay fine right. so then somebody was gonna mix it and then they mix it. it was like oh that's not that's not right and somebody else started oh that's not right so then it was like okay fuck it i'll start so i worked on it all <laughs> right I know. But, you know i don't want to know how the sausage was made you right. know i mean I, wanted it to, I just wanted to have fun and play guitar in a band and right but so i ended up working on that and that was like you know a good amount of work because we had uh Four sets to listen to She so had to make reps of four sets Listen to it, do this, do that Throw in your two cents And then eventually Louie came up with the Eight songs that seemed to work for him And, and then we You know, it worked for everybody So we worked on that, and then what else? And I've been mixing this uh, you know Stephen Bernstein? Yes. so I've been mixing this uh Stephen Bernstein Hot Nine with John Medeski instead of Henry Butler. Oh wow. let just mix that record. That's awesome. And then I've been working on this sort of this Hal Wilner uh, memorial thing, which is has the poet Gregory Corso, Marianne faithful. And Hal talking. Oh, wow. And I've made tracks for a bunch of Gregory poems. And then I made this big, long nine-minute thingy of I'll Be Seeing You, which was Hal's sort of signature song. Oh, cool. And I got all these different people. I got Willie Schwartz in Bremen, Germany, to play on the – Accordion in sort of musette style, and uh, oh, Stephen cool. made a, uh, a brass choir of it, real slow, mournful. Got somebody playing it like a second line, taking it out fast at the end. Oh, uh, man. so it's, and then I made, I took all these pieces of intros from like songs from that era and melted them together and then added the forms of I'll be seeing you in the middle of that. So it sounds more like Gorecki or Pondoretsky or any of those kind of things, you know, oh. to start off. So it's it's a very bizarre piece. And then it comes in and Gregory Corso's like, Gregory Corso's sick in bed and Marianne and Hal are visiting him. And, and he's like, bring my drink, give me a drink. You know, and then <laughs> he's like, he wants a drink on top of morphine. You know, kind of a, it's a it's it's very surreal and who knows who will ever listen to it but somebody will oh man that sounds awesome and uh i wrote a book during the the whole time oh okay tell me about that and uh, i wrote a book called it ain't my fault (laughs) 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 which is uh you know a great new orleans song of Smokey johnson that is kind of like the new orleans national anthem on some level so it's a you know it's set in new orleans in the 90s now my son is uh, teaches creative writing in the university, and he uh, oh, nice. in Alabama, and he uh, is a great well, writer. Time. And he's uh, so he's sending he's been giving me notes. So when he gives Heck me he's know. supposed to give me notes again tonight, and so then when I redo it, it'll be the fourth draft because oh, wow. I never uh, never wrote a book like that before, and it's like you know four hundred freaking pages. <laughs> it's like you know, and so I'm not. Uh, You know, I ain't Dom DeLillo. You know what I mean? But it's—I think a bunch of people have read it and liked it. And if my son read it and liked it enough to take notes and didn't say, you know, Dad, don't quit your day gig. So hopefully, um, so you know, we'll we'll see. So I'm really that was an that was a great thing to do to just to focus on, and um, because I set up to work on songs when this whole thing started and I was here at you know I've been here by myself since March the 11th wow and um you know I was supposed to go to New York all of March and I kind of like it fell through thank god thank god yeah yeah so anyway Man. so I um yeah so it was good but, but I set up to record songs and I just didn't feel like playing it took me quite a while and then I I've been doing this Hoagie Carmichael stuff, this old, like, lost. Hoagie Carmichael wrote, wow. has 40 songs that never came out. So I've been do- mm-hmm. working on all these old songs and some of his, a few of his classics. And I was going to make a record with that. And then it just, because of all the pandemic stuff, the guitar players in uh, Chicago, one of the other guitar players won't leave the house that he's in with his parents, oh, and boy. et cetera. So that got put on back burner. But, for a while i got into that again and got back into singing and playing some and feeling like okay i'm a musician again yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) you know so but it was good to be a writer for a minute
0: that sounds like a a great project sounds like it's you know really good way to i don't want to say pass the time but you know something different to do instead of uh sitting around wondering what the hell you're going to do when everything gets canceled
2: well, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we may not have any gigs for two years. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, this is the reality. We may not. Who knows? So we're just all sitting here, and everyone's flipping out everywhere. And I've seen more people break up, more people. I mean, it's just people are moving here, moving there, getting out of this, doing that. Yeah, it's crazy. And uh, and then and then we uh, like around here today. Basically, what I saw when I went out today, and I had to stop. And they, they put a mandate for masks for Louisiana, but no one was paying attention to it. And the reason was they were saying, well, if you have a medical condition that prevents you from wearing a mask, then um uh, then you don't have to wear a mask. Right. And and we're not allowed to ask. So yep. HIPAA. Do whatever you want. And yeah. and that's what the this very red state is doing. Yeah. They're going, fuck you to the Democrat governor. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway. I mean, I've, I've kept you for almost an hour and I mean, I wanted to,
0: I want to thank you so much. Is there uh social media where people can follow you
2: for, for, uh, if, the, if, and when the book comes out or any of the music there will it? be at some point, but I haven't really, you know, I've, I've made it this entire time without a manager wow. or an agent or a website in my entire life. That's so awesome. I, I take, I feel like it's like, I'm like the, uh, Odysseus thing, like where he's uh, he blinds the cyclops, you know, yes, and then he could get home like in two days, but he's a, an asshole and he tells the cyclops, I did it. It was Odysseus who fucked you up, and the cyclops <laughs> tells his father, Poseidon, and it takes him 10 years to get home, yeah. <laughs> So that's sort of how I feel about promoting things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, everybody keep an eye out for these books and the music
0: from Mark Bingham. All right. Man, thank you so much for, for spending so much time with me and, and tell me some awesome stories. These, these stories are fantastic.
2: Good.